welcome to another episode of Faith, Love, and Therapy. I'm your host, Jamie Johnson, a therapist working in the field of mental health for the last 10 years. I believe this podcast is God-led and God-inspired, and I am so excited about today's episode when I get to talk to uh, a good, good friend, um, an alumni of Norfolk State University that is doing big things in Maryland, I believe, in Maryland now. So Miss Stephanie Slowly Little now is coming to the stage, the Faith, Love, and Therapy stage, and and now part of the family. We want to just talk to her a little bit today um, about women's mental health, just a lot of the things and um, that women are going through, and in the mental in, during this Mental Health Awareness Month, just bringing highlight to some important things. But I just want to start with you, Stephanie, and and where you are in your journey, and how uh, slowly behavioral counseling services came to be. So we'll start there. Well, first, thank you for the opportunity to be here. Um, I do follow the podcast. I do think you're doing great things. And if y'all, and I know Jamie is not the type to toot her own horn, but if you don't know her, she's the reason why I'm probably a social worker today because I was like, I'm out. I don't know what these folks, I was a psychology major. I understand what y'all was talking about, but she helped me to ground myself. We did a lot of praying and she was a year ahead of me, but really, um, made me feel like I could do anything. So I'm always indebted to you and I'm so excited to see where you are and where God is taking you. So I had to start there. Thanks. Um, Thanks. You're welcome. So um, yeah, so as, as you already stated, I was a, I'm a graduate twice of Norfolk State. I love, I, it was so nice. I did it twice. Um, so right. I, I got my bachelor's in psychology and realized that was the worst thing in the world. No, no, just anybody that's a psychologist is just one my ministry. Um, and I decided to do social work. And I and I start here because it'll tie into some other things in a minute. Um, I remember when I told my mom that I was going to go get my master's in social work, and she said, "Oh my God, you're going to take babies out of the house." And I was like, first of all, I'm not touching nobody's children." Okay. I ain't working with nobody's kids. And I don't want to take nobody out the house. I said, there's a million things you can do in the field of social work. And I honestly came to do what I'm doing right now. And um, my mom told me years and years ago, almost like a couple months before, like maybe a couple, she was recalling things. And she said, do you remember that time you told me that you was going to be a counselor because you couldn't fix your family so you wanted to fix other people? And I was like, oh. I said that you did. I said, oh, that's how honorary I was. But that's a different story for a different day. But but that's really why I came, because I really wanted to make gainful impact in families, especially Black families. And really it was because I couldn't fix my family and fix how I grew up and all the trauma that I experienced, which is most of our reasoning for coming to the field, um, trying to fix something internally. Um, But... You know, after working in medical social work in Virginia, where we went to school, and then upon graduation, moving to Maryland and doing the same, um, I was just really feeling bogged down and discouraged about being in the field. As you know, Jamie, mm-hmm. you get into these jobs and they work you like a racehorse and you feel underpaid and overworked yeah. and overly accountable and you just feel the burnout because you feel like you have little power to change things. Um, and this whole idea of wanting to be a, th- a therapist was still in my heart. Um, I know Virginia has some strict rules about licensure, and I just became licensed um, in Virginia. So, yeah, about that. Yes, 
I'm trying to be DC Maryland in Virginia before the year is out. So okay. that's, and that's what we're trying to strive to. Um, but, you know, in Maryland is very difficult. Like the, the regulatory guidelines are very, um, very strict, which they should be because you want to have good clinical indicators as to why you're doing it. Um, so it took me a few years to get your license. And while I did that, I had worked and got supervision. Um, and then I got my license in 2015. The weirdest thing happened, and I think it's important to do because your, your, your podcast is about faith, love, and therapy. And mm-hmm. so the April, I got my license in, in March. In April, as you know, we pay our taxes. And it was the first year that I owed everybody. <laughs> I owed everybody. <laughs> like, dear God, I need to claim something because yeah. I could not live like this. And, you know, having a business in my heart was always this thing. And so Slowly Behavioral Consulting Group came out of a point of like really desperation and destitution. Like I called my parents, like I need help paying my taxes. And um, my dad helped me and I, and I called my mom and I remember texting her my vision that God had given me. I want to open this practice. I told you it when I was 18, I wanted to help save families. And I think I can do this through this business. Would you be willing to invest? And my mother gave me like, not, not like Trump money, like $300. Okay. Let's be clear. And I know millions. Right. dollars y'all. So $300. Yeah. And my, my, dad, my dad gave me like maybe two or $300. And with that, I LLC myself. I got my EIN. I started working with somebody who I knew could do graphic design. And I started my business. And I started, I called it Slowly Behavior Consulting Group. Because as you stated, I just recently got married. So I'm no longer officially a slowly, as my dad tells me. I'm a little. And I wanted his legacy to live on. Um, my brother is slowly, but his kids are, with, um, I have two nieces. So it was my way of, of giving him the son that I could never give him with his last name. Um, and to his dreams as being an immigrant to this country and putting all of his hopes and dreams into me, that was my gift back to him, mm-hmm. that his daughter, the first child of an immigrant could be a business owner. So, um, so I got there and um, two years of being very afraid of starting my business and like, who's going to come see me, Jesus, and not really understanding the ropes. Um, I worked under the tutelage of a really phenomenal um, counselor here in Maryland, and she had her practice, and she had a group practice, and so many pro- uh, professionals under her that she didn't even have to see anybody. And I mm-hmm. said, that's the goal right there. That is life goal. Okay. I'm trying to be. So I just, I worked there, and there I learned a lot about what business looked like and the operational sides of this uh, life, because counselors think about counseling, but they don't think about business. And you have to mm. be both. You have to be both. So I felt yes. that I could counsel, but I didn't have the operational side down. So I said, I took two years to do it. Um, and it was at that same time that my mom passed away in January of 2017. And that flipped my life on its head. Right. And so when that happened, it was kind of like, well, I need to figure some things out. And it set me on my back pockets. There's a whole story to that, which we can get into another time. Um, But my life kind of changed. And I said, if I'm going to live, what am I going to do? I got my dog, which you might hear running in the background or jumping in here in a minute because she thinks she wants the house. Um, So I got her. And then I said, well, I can't be working far away from home because I got this dog that I'm responsible for. And I said, well, God, I want you to provide a way for me to open up my business. I went look for a place that was literally 10 minutes from where I was living at the time. And I had zero dollars and zero cents to get it. And the guy came to me and I said, well, I just wanted to see if you guys had space. What would it look like? Can I conceptualize it? And I was like, well, thank you for the opportunity. He said, well, you don't want to 
Lisa said, well, Lisa, what money? I'm a poor entrepreneur. What do you want me to do? And he said, well, he said, well, I tell you what, how about I don't make you pay a deposit? What if you pay the first month and you start paying in July and then you can start then? And I said, well, I do make money because I still was working my part time and I had my full time. And I said, well, if I do that, I can pay for the summer. So I said from September, from no, I said from July to September, if I make some money, at least half the rent, then I'll keep it. If I don't, then I'll close it and say, I I tried and that's what we did. Yes. And from July of 2017 till today, we have been open through the pandemic and all. And so wow. So it wasn't easy, but that's how we came to be. Um, and honestly, I have a, a wonderful virtual assistant. Her name is Valida Reynolds. I love her to death. She, if you see, if you go onto my website, she's a creator. She helps me um, design and keeps my social media popping and going. And I, really, I appreciate that for that and helps me do some of the back end operational side so I can focus on counseling. And we're trying to expand. And so hopefully this year and early next year, we'll be taking it to the next level because, you know, this is what I plan to do full time, probably by the end of the year. And um, I'm really excited about where we're headed. So, yeah, your journey, ma'am, your journey is like just covered in in just God's grace and blessing and just all the things, all the things. And I'm excited for what is going to happen. I mean, and to be, you know, licensed in Virginia, to work towards being licensed in Virginia, Maryland and DC, the, the depth of um, help that you can provide, like that's deep, that's major. That's major, so I'm excited for you. Thank you. It's such a transient area, right? And and what you find is people are in Virginia and then they want you to help them and then you can't help them because you don't have Virginia license or they're DC or people are like, well, I told my friend, do you take DC clients? I'm like, no, not really. Right. And so, you you know, for us, what's exciting is that we're at this really good time. It's mental health awareness and more people are talking about mental health than ever before. When we started in that field, it was kind of like a whisper and then Black people would come and, you know, our folks would come to me and be like, I'm like, well, so who knows that you're here? Nobody. Right. Nobody knows <laughs> Nobody knows. Not a, Not a soul. Not a soul. I'm like, so what do you do for support? I come to you. You are my support. I'm like, okay, I am. I am your support. However, yes, outside of me, who is your support? And now people are like, oh no, I, everybody knows I'm in therapy. I told everybody about therapy, you know. And I think That's right. that that is a change from who we used to be and where we're going. And I think that that is critical right if we really are going to destigmatize the need for mental health and and recognizing why people are doing what they're doing why marijuana use is going up while substance use is going up while crisis is going up people are while people are smacking people in attacking people on stage yes. you know at an alarming rate you know we i was just having this conversation with colleagues the other day I was like we're laughing or responding to these actions but we're not considering why people are getting to this breaking point. And for me, especially our people, people are hurting. People are upset. People are feeling unheard, unseen. And that has a, a huge impact on our mental health. If yes. we don't start finding, like, we don't wait till your tooth falls out to go get to the dentist. You right. don't wait till your bones about to break before you go to the doctor. We do preventative medicine and we promote preventative medicine in every other field, but mental health. As, a, as an active tool to stop people from getting to that end pipe of the world or what we talk about in health disparities where you get to the end of the cliff and people are seeing you go down to the end of the well and people are trying to pull you out when it's too late. 
let's do preventative work. Let's get people the tools that they need so that they can cope through life's changes, such yes. as COVID and all the craziness that we deal with, so that they, they don't get down that point. And I think that I'm praying, I'm hoping in my work, I'm trying to do both on the public health side and, and behavioral health side is really moving those initiatives forward and trying to normalize behavioral health across the board. I love it. I love it. And you are absolutely right. Within within our community, things have gotten better, um, but there is still there is still difficulty with choosing to access, also accessing and finding because they're looking for therapists that look like them, finding therapists that look like them. And then also coming from a you know spiritual place, therapy is like uh, only worst case scenario, go to a therapist. That's correct. In, 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 especially in the Christian community, like, you know, we got Jesus. So y'all need to be, we need to be okay. Just go ahead and pray. And, and that stigma still, that's, that's still there. Um, and many Christians are seeking therapists and seeking Christian therapists, but there's still so many that are rooted in the fact, the fact that, you know, you shouldn't have to talk to anybody about your problems because we can bring it all to God in prayer. And I think that, you know, and I have, it's so funny you do that. So before I started working at my, um, the practice I was at before I opened up my practice, I did like six or seven months at a Christian counseling center and I worked under a Christian counselor and I found it to be ironic because like she was very rigid in who, how she did her work. Um, so it was good to see two styles and I, I mm-hmm. identify with the other style than I did her style. Mm-hmm. But um, the, the ironic thing is working as a Christian counselor um, of course, I have the foundational background and I'm a believer um, and, and she gave us a lot of tools to work with. But the funny thing was that people would say to me, I would ask them, hey, do you want to do counseling from a Christian perspective? And they would come, but they say no. And I don't promote Christian counseling in my current practice, but I speak more about Christian faith in my sessions than I do in any other, in any other sessions. Yes. Isn't that weird? Like, it's just... You'd be surprised if people say, well, I don't really want to talk about my faith, or I don't, you know, I, I'm, I'm a believer, but I don't practice. But what really what it is, is it's a spiritual, it's a spiritual work um, yes. that we're doing. Yes. And, I, and I think people don't understand that. I was mm-hmm. having this conversation with my best friend the other day, and we're talking about like therapy and me being a therapist. And I said, you know, I don't prepare anymore when I go into session. And she was like, what do you mean? I was like, you know, when I first started, people were like, well, you need to read up on this, you know, the latest uh, therapeutic ways and this, that, and the other. And you need to be clear about what things are happening from the perspective and be by the book. And I was like, and I tried that, but it felt very forced. It felt very unnatural. It felt very inauthentic to me. Mm-hmm. Um, and so what I have said to, so what I had to get to place where I've said to God was, you know, you work through me. Yes. Like, decrease me. And you you increase you increase yourself in me, so that your light will shine through me, and that you will get the glory for whatever happens in this moment. Right? Yes. That is my daily prayer. And what I do is when I tell my when I meet new clients, I tell them I say I'm just a vessel, and that's really my welcoming of God into our sessions to usher it in. They don't know that that's what I'm doing, but that is me saying that. What I find, Jamie, I'm quite sure you've had similar is that sometimes your clients will come back to you and they'll say, you remember when you said da 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 And I'll be like, mm-mm. <laughs> In my mind, I don't say nothing. I'll be like, mm-mm, right. I don't remember none of that. Mm-hmm. Like, you remember when you said this? Because when you said that, that just resonated with me and I just carried that with me. And I was like, well, to God be the glory. Absolutely. And I do say that because it really is saying, it's not me. I am not 
that smart. She was like, yes, you are. I was like, okay, I'm smart, but I'm not smart enough to know what every single client needs when they come before me. And if you are like anybody else, Jamie, I know you have the same experience. You can see six to seven clients in a day sometimes. Mm-hmm. And, you, and each client wants or needs something different. And so yes. I don't, how can I switch from, if I have back-to-back clients, I'm not always sure what they get, what they want or what they need. And honestly, it is a, it's a blessing because when I do say something that resonates to their spirit, I know that that was meant for us to be together so God could get that moment. And Absolutely. And I think that that has been the blessing of it all. I'll share this one thing, and then I'm quite sure you have a follow-up question. Um, my grandmother said to me, who's still alive and, and kicking and, and witty, even as she's starting to have a bit of dementia, she said to me one day, um, every time we get to, every time I come home, they make me pray. Mm-hmm. And I was like, okay, I'll pray, grandma. But I pray because she tell me to, and, I'm, and I don't play wrong. My man tell me to do something, I do okay. it. But um, she said to me one day, she said, um, Baby, you're going to be a preacher one day. And I mm-hmm. said, Mom, I said, Grandma, I ain't meant to be in nobody's pulpit. Like, this is me. Mm-mm. I ain't going to nobody's missionary theology school. That's not my ministry. I said, Grandma, I don't know. That's not my ministry. I said, I ain't meant to be behind no pulpit. And my grandmother, being who she always is, she looked at me and she said, not all pastors sit behind pulpits. Come and on. Walked and walked away. I said, I mean, this little four level lady slumped me together and walked on. I said, okay, grandma. <laughs> but it reminded me that that's why it is, that this is my ministry. This yes. is what I'm doing. This is my service to God. This is my way of giving back. And I think that if I can, and I think the reason why my business has been as successful as it's been, and I've been able to do the things that I wanted to do, um, is that if I let him use me in a mighty way, it happens. Um, and sometimes I get scared because I see I see the increase and I see the the movement. I'm like, whoa, right, too, much, too fast, and then I, and I back up. But I, I feel more and more led, especially after the year I've had, to like just stop fighting his will and let him and let his will be done in my life in all areas and and watch him pour me out a blessing. Honestly, that I don't have room to contain. You don't have room, ma'am. No. I'm so glad you said. And there are so many people that are like, um, I've even heard people say, well, you know, therapists just manipulate and they just trying to get in there and, you know, make you think a certain way or make you feel a certain way. And it's, it's not, and you really have to know that there, you really have to sit with the therapist and, and see their, uh, their approach and the, the spirit that they come with. And, and God has also showed me like, this is ministry. This is not, you know, you're not just getting in there trying to talk to somebody. And sometimes they want they want, um, when you say, you know, we were taught, we're taught very early, kind of by the book, this is the routine you go through, this is what you say, leave yourself at the door is what right. we heard a lot. And I have been blessed to start supervising over the last year or so students, you know, that are working towards licensure and I've done some internships and I don't ever tell them to completely leave them at the door no. because there's a reason God has called you to this place. Yes. And called you to this place and to this act of service. And so if you leave you at the door, what are you working with? That's what, correct. What are you what are you presenting? I will and, say, yeah, that that right there is critical mm-hmm. and key, especially in in our communities. I don't think, you know, a lot of things that we do in our community, even from even down to like where you get your hair done, who do your nails, you know where you get your food, where's the best place to get some food from. We are word of mouth people. If my friend say it's good and I know she don't play about food, then I'm gonna go over there. Right. 
You understand what I'm saying? We believe yes. in that. And honestly, to come into a room, to, to speak to a stranger about things that are impacting you the most is a difficult thing to do. Yes. And if they have sought you out, sought somebody that looks like them, resonates to them, gives them the feeling that they can relate to them, they want you. They want you authentically. Now, you ain't got to tell the people that you ate what you ate last night and right. what you that spouse then went through and all that stuff. But you do have to allow them into your life. You know, when I got married, I shared that with all my clients. They were mm-hmm. all excited. Um, I'm expecting a little one in a few months. Thank you. Um, and, and they're all excited. They want to send me stuff on the registry. Now, ethics would say, God, don't do that. But we're not those. I recognize that my community needs to feel involved. Yes. And what they are, they're sharing the most intimate parts of their lives with me. They are asking me to really sit down and and help them process some of the hardest things they've even went through. Something they haven't told their own parents. Yes. And so me sharing about my life, whether it's dealing with the traumatic experiences I've had with my family, whether it's the blessing that God is still blessing you even after tragedy and loss, whether it's talking about the grief of my own mom and how it almost took me out of here medically and how I had to live unapologetically, whether it's the troubles and the institutional and structural racism we experience while we're working and these institutions that are not set up for us and spaces that are not built for us, whether we're talking about the racism when we're seeing unarmed Black kids being killed and mothers being afraid to send their kids to school, whatever it is, we need to be able to talk about it from a relatable sense because they need to feel seen. And the only way you can feel seen is allow yourself to be seen. And you gotta be able to show a level of vulnerability. And it's a dance, it's a skill set because you share with purpose. Don't share for sharing, don't share for them to speak into you, but share with a purpose. If my clients never ask me anything about what's going on in my life, I say nothing. Mm -hmm. But if my clients say to me, um, so how's the baby going? Oh, it's going well. We're at this point. Da, da, da. Oh, I'm so excited for you. You know, even before, it's so funny. I just had a client this morning before I came on here mm-hmm. and she was saying, she asked me before we ended her session, how are you doing with the baby? I said, oh, it's going well. You know, they're living on my bladder and trying to figure things out <laughs> and everything like that. And she said, you know, she's, she said, you know, Miss Slowly, she said, I just think that you really should do a podcast. I really think you should go tell somebody about how it is because you are giving me hope that like I can still find love after 35 I can still have another baby if I want after 35 and mm-hmm. other people need to hear that story and I and I have a I have a podcast I have a YouTube page that I've left dormant for a while because like, I don't know what I want to talk about I know I know Shana. okay I know but you know but coming on here today talking to you and hearing her was like I know that that was God speaking through people to say, no, you have a story to tell. Yes. You have something to share and you need to be um, obedient, right? Because that's really mm-hmm. what it all boils down to is your obedience to, to what he's calling you to do. Because it is true. I've watched other people story on TikTok about being over 30 and having a child or even being over 40 and having a child. And it's giving me courage to say, okay, I can do this. I can right. get you. And I think that is what we do in service and that's what we do in session. And so you're absolutely right. Don't leave yourself at the door because that's how we create things. I tell my clients I go to therapy. I told my clients that, hey, in my harder times when I lost my mom, I was on antidepressants and anti-anxiety medication. And they look at me and they say, oh my God, really? I'm like, listen, just because I'm the therapist don't mean I ain't a hot mess too. Like I'm still living here, I'm black in America. I'm a hot mess. 
I just have a little bit more skill set than the gift of God that got me here. I said, but yes. life still have, and that's kind of how I start my sessions with my clients. I'm like, I said, this is a judgment free zone. We all have things going on in the world. Don't come here thinking I'm going to be perfect because I am not. Right. I am not going to be perfect. I want you to know from the door, I am not a perfect person. Correct. And I think sometimes, you know, it's, it's almost like being a parent. Like it's about this humanization of us in the profession and about mm-hmm. allowing people to see us really authentically. Because yes. I think what typically happens is that people want to put on their persona or what I was learning in class. We were talking about our masks that we wear and yeah. we want to feel very much like, I have it all down. Mm-hmm. I know all my theoretical frameworks and I know how to diagnose you the right way. And I'm just like, all of that's necessary and important, but not more important than that person getting to their empowerment level or their place of healing as seen by them. Absolutely. And my goal is to give you the tools that you need so that you can, that's why I tell them, when you want to break up with me, when you're ready to quit me, what will your life look like? How will yes. you know that you're where you want to be? Because it's not about me. Absolutely. And I think that we have to, it has to feel, it has to be a relationship with boundaries. It has yes. to feel as relational as your sister girlfriend without us feeling like we're about to go grab cocktails after. Okay, because we're not. We're not. We're not. My client's like, oh, why are you invite me to Juniper? But I was like, you know, it was just, it happened so fast. Yeah. She feels relational to me. Right. But you can't come. Right. Exactly. Exactly. I love it. I love it because I think, you know, the, the authenticity, um, so many times in therapy and not just men and women, but I think we tend to draw our tribe. My tribe tends to be more women. Um, and so I hear that piece about authenticity, not just professionally, but definitely professionally, uh, but just in life in general. And I think, we, I think there's this struggle to try to find who's actually under the mask in, in, in many of us um, professionally, but then when we see the client, I don't know if you've had this experience where you see the client, you're like, hmm, am I going through that too? Mm-hmm. Have I been wearing that mask? Yeah. You know, and so that's why that relationship is so important because when you leave you at the door, sometimes, and I think this is such a blessing, God will use that person's story. Listen, to start that healing process in you and, and you don't even realize he'll show you some things about yourself. You're like, okay, I need to, he I need to remain me. professional, but he pointed me. Listen, have you been in session, Jamie, and like felt the goosebumps on your own skin rise? Yes. Have you said some things actually, have God given you the words to say out your mouth, but you knew it was for you first and you had to say, mm, that was for me too. And a tear fighting back a tear like oh, oh okay okay Man, yes I have been in session and I have been reading my clients and I said oh but that's for me too right <laughs> <laughs> to say it out loud and they'd be laughing they'd be like what I said no that that, that was also for me yeah me he was slumping me together as he was slumping you together okay and and honestly I don't know any other profession that does this I don't right. know any other profession that requires for you to be authentically you every single day. It really is like, um, it is an accountability partner that you never wanted. Right. It is an accountability partner that you do not want. I don't care. I used to say when I was a kid, I'm a, I'm a, I'm a thriver of uh, sexual abuse, um, molestation, physical abuse, psychological abuse. I'm a thriver of abandonment and broken home and 
you know, Tara, I've been through a lot in my life. And I, and I went through it a lot at a young age. And I remember mm-hmm. when I was younger and a teenager and a young adult, even coming to college and not being in the right headspace and wanting to take my own life at one point, I remember thinking to myself, which people always think like, are you serious? Like, you're so confident. I'm like, child, right. I time to tell the story about how who I am today is not I'm glad what this is what the word said what people say I'm glad I don't look like what I've been through through. Um, Mm. so you know I was you know thinking about that and I used to say to myself all the time like why God why are you putting all of this on me what have I done why do I need to go through all of these trials and tribulations but when I sit in front of a client as I did the other day and my client was disclosing to me about her own trial and tribulation, about an interpersonal relationship that she was dealing with. And it was the, and the words that I was saying to her were not therapeutic words, but they were words of a thriver of somebody who had been there. And mm-hmm. I was interceding on her behalf to say to her, the mm-hmm. only person you need to serve and the only person that you need to be obedient to and the only master that you have is God and everybody else are just people mm-hmm. that you don't have to be, you're not beholden to anybody but God. I don't care if you're a wife. I don't care if you're a mother. I don't care what other role you play. The only you have one master, and that's the one above you. I said everybody else is secondary, and I and I can only tell her that from a person who had lived in a lifestyle where people were making me feel like because they were my parents or because they were my aunts or because they took me in when I didn't have anybody that I was not supposed to serve them. And you mm-hmm. lose your focus on who your master is. And God says, I am the only one. I'm the way, the truth, and the light. And you forget that because people want you to serve them when they become, when they bail you out, when they help you, or God forbid, when they give you life. They expect that that's supposed to be your new master. And I'm like, no. Right. And and having this very competent, capable young person who has accomplished so much be broken down into like these really childlike tears and you're and you're and you're in there holding it back because you cried those same tears in your own life it is just a it's just one of those windows when you say my god I see why you did it yes see why you did it you know it was funny I never had a lot of grieving clients until I had to grieve and then God kept bringing me grieving clients every time I never had clients who went through breakups Mm-hmm. Until I went through a hard breakup. I never had clients who were almost giving up on love until I almost gave up on love. I, I'm, I lie to you not. I was had a client who, a former client, who came to me and she said, this is my last date on this dating site. This is my last date. I am done. Mm-hmm. She, talked to her she said, I'm not, and after this, don't tell me I need to get out here and try it again. <laughs> and I said, okay, okay, that's fine. I just wanted you to try so mm-hmm. she goes, she goes out on her last date on the, and after that she was shutting the date upside down. She was nuts. Uh-huh. When on this last date, she came back, she said, Oh my God, it was the best date I've ever been on. Mm-hmm. Fast forward to three to three weeks later, they were in a relationship. Fast forward to three months later, they were engaged. Fast forward to six months later, they had did their initial marriage. And fast forward to six months after that, they went and had their destination wedding in Jamaica. In one year, and I did uh-huh. the marital counseling. In one year, I saw her go from this is my last date to I'm a whole married. <laughs> yes. And I said, I see you do it for others. So I know you can work in me. Absolutely. So now when it became my turn and God was revealing it to me, I was like, I seen you do this for somebody else. You reminded me. You revealed it to me through my work that people can still find love and that you should not give up on hope on that. And I have 
I've seen people who did, I saw a client who fought and cried and, and mourned in my office about loss of her child. And now she has a seven month old beautiful Oh my goodness. And so when I thought that my fertility was going to be in question mm-hmm. and God bless me with a child that I didn't even know for 11 weeks, I've seen you do it in others. Yes. And I yes. think that's the, that's the beauty of it. It's not about me. It's not about me, but it's a reminder that, you know, when we get to sit back and talk to somebody who knows what we're talking about, you mm-hmm. see yourself, it, it gives you hope sometimes when you're hopeless in your own life. It gives you peace when you feel like your life is being disturbed. It gives you courage. It gives you strength. It gives you fire to fight on. You know, my other life is in public health, and I do a lot of work at the state level to help people. But I'm always fighting for those clients that I see when I think about why am I advocating for this project or why am I fighting for these things to happen and why I'm fighting for policies to change. I'm not thinking about myself. I'm thinking about the clients that I serve that I know will right. benefit from those levels, those system level changes. And while I'm in school getting my doctorate, I'm, I'm fighting for my community because I yeah. know we need those things, right? But I don't think about myself. I think about my clients that I just talk about because I know they need someone that's thinking about them. And I think about them all the time. It's so yeah. funny. I think about a client that I hadn't seen in like nine months. I don't really know how, how they're doing. And she was like, oh, can we, can we start again? We sure can. But that's just how... I feel like that's how you know this is divine. I was thinking about her and she needed me. Yes. Yes. I, I've done it. There have been times where I'm like, okay, I'm going to do this discharge. Um, Cause they're like, well, wait, let's, you know, give me a few months. Give me, you know, don't do my discharge officially yet. Just kind of, you know, I'm like, okay. And I'm getting ready to do it. And they're like, no, 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 I'm ready. I'm ready. I need to come back. I need, you know, or there's a moment of like, literally, like you said, you see, I will see them in my mind's eye and like, I pray they're well. Like I hope, and the phone will ring or the the email will come through or they, you know, a message at the front desk. And it's, it is, there are these moments that are just absolute, absolute God moments where you're like, he is really orchestrating every bit of this. And so it's hard for me sometimes when people are like, what is therapy for? Like, why would I go to therapy? And why would I, all of the things? And I'm like, why, why wouldn't you? Why wouldn't you to just be able to be in a space? And, and granted, you have to find the therapist that is for you. I always say that. I say that in my assessments. If I'm not for you, I want you to find the one that's for you because I'm not just trying to get a dollar. I don't, I could care less, but it needs to be the right person for you. But when you find your space, what can happen in your life is miraculous. I mean, it is, it's, it is miraculous. That's what I'm um, saying. I tell people, I said, I'm not your ordinary. I said, I'm a very unorthodox therapist. If you're looking mm-hmm. for somebody that's not going to say nothing to you, that's not going to get on your nerves, I'm probably not going to be that person. Not it. I, I told my cousin, I said, um, in the beginning, I said, I'm probably at one point or many times during the time that we're together, I'm going to get on your nerves. You don't want to like smack me. And I said, mm-hmm. I'm, and I'm okay with that. Like, I'm okay if I piss you off. That really gives me joy. I said, I'm not sadistic. I said, my thought process is if I can, if I upset you, that means you got to think differently. And if you got to think differently, you can do different. And the outcome is to do something. And if you think differently, you do differently, you'll get different. And that's why you're here. You're not here to get the same. You're here to get different. So I'm going to challenge you, but not challenge you without purpose. But I want you to think differently. I want you to try to do differently. Whether you do it or not, that's on you. But I want you to know that that's why we're doing it. Yes. And then oftentimes I, I'm true to my words. I get on their nerves and they're like, Ugh, and I'm like, 
I said, well, I warned you I was going to get on your nerves. Yes. And they'd be like, well, I'm like, listen, you don't even have to incorporate what we're talking about. You don't have to do anything. You don't have to change what you're doing one bit. I'm just here to let you know that now that you know better, you're called to do better. There so you go. You, can, you're, you have to be a willing participant of the ignorance that you're continuing to perpetuate. So whether you're going to, either you're going to attempt to do better in your own life or you're not, but I, but you can't say you don't know. Yeah, there you go. There you go. I love those moments where they're like, I don't like you. We've reached a sweet spot. Mm-hmm. If I, that, <laughs> not, say that. That's what my hands are like, oh, right. Yes. Let's go. Like, it is. It is we in there now. Yes. yes. <laughs> or like, you know, sometimes, and, and I have a, I have a client now too that I'm dealing with, like, you know, I have a client that they come in and they give you but so much. And I tell them all the time, I'm the, I'm the, I am a really good therapist and I'm only good as what you give me. And so you holding back only slows your progress now. Or I'll tell my clients, like I have somebody that she, like I had one client, I knew she wouldn't stay. She's like, oh, I feel better now. Every time I talk to you, I feel better. I was like, that's great, but this is a journey. And every day you're not going to feel good. Correct. I am not, I'm not a happy drug. You know what I mean? I mean, so I am here to empower you. I do believe in speaking life over my clients. I do believe in giving them to talk to their dry places and their hard places in life. I think you're supposed to affirm your clients to see things and speak to them, what you see in them. But I also feel that my job is not to sugarcoat it. I'm not sure. Like I tell my friends, I'm not your fan. I'm your friend. I am not your fan. I'm your therapist. And so more so my friends take a time out for me when I get real with them. And they usually start something like, how real do we want to get? Okay. (laughs) (laughs) How real do we want to get today? Right. And then they, they either tell me yes or they tell me no. And yes. then we go from there. Um, but I think it's important to be real but, but with kindness. Yes. Be to be honest with tact and to to really allow them to have a mirror in front of them when you feel that they're ready, not not just when you want to do it. Because I, I've had some, so and I'm quite sure you have too, where they just they want to come in. They want to sit on the couch, or they want to sit on the on the screen, and they want to just vent. Yes. And, um, God bless everybody, but that part does not that does not excite me. Mm-hmm. And I let them say that, but then I'll say to them, eventually, ignoring me, I'll say, if you don't want to make any changes, that's fine. Continue to do this, but right. your progress is not going to happen. And or if I feel like if I give you an avenue of, of another way to go, but you try to buck why you can't go that way mm-hmm. then like you're not in a place of writing and that's okay that's okay that's yeah. absolutely okay I think you know having this dialogue is one is blessing me but two I wish so many would have the opportunity to hear how this process goes and it, it doesn't have to be like terrifying and scary you know waking up this morning to the um the message the uh the a viral post. I think it was Ar- Arlana Miller. Arlana Miller. She's a South, um, a Southern University cheerleader. Oh yes, I heard about this. Right back. Um, she, that was she wrote a whole thing and then she took her life. Yes. And to me, in those moments, you know, when we always hear, even you know, what was it? Um, Chesley cursed. Mm. Cursed. I, I feel like that's not C R Y S T. Cursed. Yeah. The anchor. You know, when we hear and wake up to the news of these, you know, these women, men, um, Regina King's son taking their life. 
And then my mind goes like, who did, did they have anybody to talk to? Not that we can, not that we cannot do it all. We know that we cannot, but I often wonder, did they have the space? You know, what, what were the, the moments where they felt like they couldn't reach out? Was it a situation where they felt like therapy what, would not be beneficial? Was it a situation where they had therapy, but therapy, but they were doing that. They were venting, but they weren't talking about what needed to change. They weren't going to those hard places. And so this, this work that we do is so important to me. And then I have moments where just so, I'm so heartbroken because I'm like, man, what if, you know, what if, and I can't even imagine. And I think, you know, that's so funny. My husband asked me one day, he said, has anybody ever said that they wanted to harm themselves or had some mm-hmm. suicidal ideations. I said, yeah. He said, well, what do you do? And so I told him kind of like what I would do. And he was like, oh, I just thought you would take that information and go with it. He's a point myself. This is a love <laughs> set for your audience. He's a point yeah. myself. He does not know about behavioral health. Now, if you want him to fix the toilet, you want him to rub a house, he got you. you I know that's remodel. right. You want him to remodel, that's your man. Um, <laughs> but he, he was just kind of like, I was telling him, he was like, really? And I was like, yeah. And I said, you know, we take that very seriously. I said, I said, I'm a mandated reporter no matter where I go. I said, my license could be on the line. So if you say something to me, even in pleasant conversation, I am required to act. So I take it very, very seriously. Mm-hmm. Um, and I was heartbroken too when I saw it. And I was just saying to myself, you know, there. it goes back to my initial statement. You know, when the whole Will Smith thing happened and then the whole Dave Chappelle thing happened. And, you know, everybody has their own opinion about it. And I ain't here to debate nobody. I got my own opinion. It's probably not a very therapeutic one because I, I said what I said, too. And I meant what I said, and I stand on that. Um, but I think it's because it wasn't what he, it's not the action that Will did in the moment. It's what he said in his acceptance speech that told me everything I needed to know. Mm. And what we need to understand is that as a society, we need to elevate our, our candor, our dialect, our tact, our concern for one another. We need to elevate our compassion, our level of forgiveness, and our humanity to one another. And we are not. These computers, these, these social media apps, these reality shows that I still love, so don't judge me. Um, <laughs> it provides us this amenity that makes us feel like say and do whatever. Yes. That there is no ramifications for those actions. And there is no feeling attached to those things. Um, I enjoy this rapper. Her name is Chica. She's an African-American woman out of, um, she's she's from Nigeria, but she's from Alabama. Um, Really underground, not aesthetically your famous rapper type, Mm -hmm. just dark skin, like us, dark skin, Mm -hmm. that just out here, but I love her flow. I love her spirit. And she had posted something recently about it. My, my notes, I was like, isn't this your girl that you told me about that you really love? And she was talking about how she wasn't successful this time, but you know, she might try again and she wanted to take her own life. And I said, dear God, does someone, does someone know that? I think about how we talk about Kanye West's mental health and how people try to like downplay it and how really fortunate it is that he has the resources that he has but how very scary it is, or you think about what Matt Miller took, you know, lost his life through drug overdose. And I think about all of these things, and I say to myself, you know, we are in a, we're in a society where we just, we, we speak out of both sides of our mouths. We believe in mental health, mental health awareness is important, let's fight for it. And then on the same voice, we will, we will essentially not 
be open and honest about what's happening. And I just feel very, very strongly like we can't do both. We, right. cannot, talk, we cannot talk out of both sides of our heads. And understanding that if we are going to fault people who act out, mm-hmm. then we need to fault the people who antagonize the acting out. Yes. And we need to hold everyone accountable in the circle and recognize that we cannot just, for the sake of being real, be, be disrespectful, right. be tactless, be heartless. Where's the humanity of, of caring about people? What's the, what happens to the bless your hearts of the world? Right. If you have nothing nice to say, don't say anything at all. What happens to like certain things are just off the table. We talk about people's children, families, relationships. Like I am not a Kevin Samuel fan. I am. Right. He is not my. He is not my cup of tea. He is not my person. But like immediately, as soon as it came out, the amount of heartless posts that I saw. Correct. Like somebody said something, I was like, like mm-hmm. I was in shock. Damn, not that they were not entertaining, because I think that's what they're all there for. Right. I don't have this level of like sadness outside the fact that a human life is gone. Mm-hmm. Um, for this particular person, because he cared nothing for me, apparently, um, in the real world. And I don't believe in changing the narrative of a person just because of who they are. Right. But I also think very concernedly that we need to take a breath, like we're so desensitized. If you think about how many loss of life we've had from COVID and how people are just like, well, we need to get back to living. And I'm just thinking like, for some people, I know somebody who lost their mom because all she did was go to work and she contracted COVID. And now Mm -hmm. her mother who was in her sixties is no longer here. Right. You with that, you just want people to go back to living in their world and not be afraid to be in a world where this, the same disease that's still out here took my mother's life. Like, right, right. is it, is it only if it happens to my mother or my family mm-hmm. or someone that I know that we should have care and compassion? And I think that what we're seeing is a society that is on the real brink of, of, of a moral reckoning if we don't get back to the human decency that we once had. Right. Absolutely. I, yeah, I think that that's just, I think that that's what I take from all of that. And I think that we'll see more children commit suicide when they don't feel hurt. When all we care about is what you're accomplishing. I think we were talking about this before we started to record. You know, we, we, we celebrate. Oh, you got married. Oh, you started that business. Oh, you got the bag. Oh, you looking good. Oh, you got the man. Oh, you got the ring. Yep. We don't celebrate or we don't admonish people when they just, you made it through a day. Congratulations. Absolutely. Even in your failure, there's success. Even in a loss, there's still a triumph. We don't, we don't celebrate. We don't even want people to see us. We put filters on our pictures. We don't show people our harder sides. We just want to always appear to be this thing that we are or not. And I think that that then creates a society of, of unprecedented expectations. I don't know yes. how many times I say I want to be perfect. I was like, that is the path. I said, that is the highway to disappointment. Right. That is the expressway <laughs> to disappointment. How fast? That's the next part of disappointment. Okay. There's nobody that's perfect, but we teach people that that's all you can be. Right. And I think, you know, when you think, like they're showing her, an image matter, they're showing her cheerleading picture. Great. Mm-hmm. What, what was her life like every day? Yes. What was, she, what was she dealing with at home? I remember being a student in college, feeling suicidal. And had right. I not had 
Dr. Lori Hobson, who I will shout out at Norfolk State, who forced them, found me somewhere, Jesus. I walked into a counseling center after feeling like I used to just walk the campus and mm-hmm. say, I won't take my own life, but if something happens to me, I'll be okay. Right. You understand? Like I didn't that have the is- I don't have the gall to take my own life. Like, okay, mm-hmm. I'm not gonna hang myself, I'm not gonna cut myself, but if somebody was to take me out, that'd right. be fine for me. Anything that's not okay. Yeah. But you don't know what kids contend with because as a, a young adolescent, it was the first time that I had free thought where people weren't coming and bombarding me with stuff and abusing me and treating me bad, but I still had all this stuff that I wasn't dealing with. Right. All this trauma that I hadn't addressed. What happens with that? And, and so it was somebody like Dr. Hobson who spoke life into me and said, young lady, you are supposed to be here. You matter. You know, we crying for days and days about just my life. Like, you know, those counseling works. <laughs> yes. And you work it. And I, and, I, and I can't stress that enough to people that we just don't know what everybody's doing on day to day. And we don't ask either. And we, we do need- not we need to get back to caring, genuinely caring about somebody else. Because if not, it's not going to be the last story that we see. And there's not enough. Uh, there's not enough of us that's going to change that. And people have to feel free and safe to say, "I'm not okay." Right. Right. Because that's the other piece that we're not talking about. Because we know clients that come into our office and blow smoke up our butt. Mm-hmm. And some days I care and some days I'm tired and I don't. And you can do right. well, but when you're ready, we'll start again. But yeah. like, that's the other part. You have to be vulnerable enough to be willing to have those harder conversations. Right. Absolutely. Yeah, absolutely. I think um, so many good nuggets there. But, you know, the, the imagery of, um, you know, you saying walking around the campus thinking, I don't want to take my life, but if you know, God, if something happens to me, I'm fine going, you know, and I, when you said, can you relate? Absolutely. I've definitely been there. Um, but then I, the, I imagine so many filters on so many young people, not just young, because right now everybody seems to apply a filter and a fake and a, mm-hmm. you know, a social media, whatever. Um, but we see so many filters and then coming into the office, you know, when they come into the office and they can't hide behind the filter, or even sometimes, you know, as a therapist, we can kind of cue in on some things that we hear or see when we're around people in general. We don't have to be in the office, um, but we see what's behind that filter and the brokenness that's there. And there is such a, there's such a, de- they're so detached, so detached and have such a desire to, um, to be better and to feel like they're enough. And I think one of the things in um, Arlana's um, suicide note, she mentioned, she even says like, you know, she dreamed of becoming all of the things that she is already, but she still didn't feel like she was enough. And then she, you know, she encouraged people to check, check on their strong friends, as people are saying. And people are saying those things. You hear a good, like a meme, a post, a like, let me throw it up for some likes, but for real, for real, Definitely it's strong. not, it's a struggle and people are quietly, you know, withering away and they are feeling as though nothing that they ever do will be good enough. And half of what we see is not reality. People are not presenting the real life. Even, you know, starting this podcast, I was like, I don't want to get up there. Cause I'm not about to like, 
I don't know how to present in a way that is like what I see on social media, what I see on YouTube. And when God just whispered the word, it was like, well, either I'm going to be obedient or I'm going to try to, you know, keep going on and not be obedient. And that does not Mm -hmm. work well. But there's this thought that goes up like, I'm not going to be enough. Like, it's not going to be right. And how many people that that narrative, that mental narrative of not being enough of, you know, feeling like they are less than those around them and that they're, they, they're not accomplishing or perfect, as you stated, that narrative is so strong. I hear more so in women. I have, I hear it in men, but like I said, my tribe tends to be more women than men, but even a lot of the men that I'm starting to see now, they are struggling with a similar narrative. They don't always describe it the way women do, but there's a similar narrative of not feeling like they're good enough. And I mean, it's almost like we're, we're watching, um, not zombies, but let a sh- people are a shell of themselves walking around. Mm-hmm. And as you said, there's not enough, enough of us to kind of sit with them and kind of help them through that process. So like taking this to the mass, and I think that's the blessing of the, the podcast and, and all these things and what you're going to resume doing yeah, uh, yeah. Mm-hmm. Yes, okay. <laughs> is that those that will never sit in our office um, or never make their way to a therapist's office will have the opportunity to hear dialogue and conversation and normalize some things for them and encourage, you know, encourage them to be um, open to this. And, you know, it's faith, love and therapy. So I struggle, I have struggled and struggled and struggled with the, the, com- the conversation about therapy within the church. Mm-hmm. and how they kind of ride this fence and I'm blessed to have leadership that um, supports mental health and even you know um, work in mental health and things like that but that's not everywhere no it's there's like a competition correct correct so it's there's there's this struggle of you know yes sure you're supposed to, you can go to therapy you can go to therapy but if you go like where was your faith like how did you get to that place where you had to go like what I think the church has, especially the black church, has to reckon with itself in a lot of different areas. I think it is a uh, a breeding ground for contradiction. We say we are, you know, you always know a church that's not, you always know pastors not struggling in the area when they harp on it. So if if sexual addiction is not your thing, then you're going to talk about sexual addiction, but you're still going to gossip and talk about folks. That's still a sin. And what is sin is not weighted. There's no weighted sin. So you want to, you know, or sometimes you are struggling with it, but the way you try to get through it is you want to condemn others if it's homosexuality. And I think, you know, the commandment that God has given us, and I'm not no Bible uh, historian or, or theologist, I'm not that person, but as I've interpreted my Bible to read, the only thing God has ever asked me to do is love those as I've loved others. He's never said, you know, he says, judge, let you not be judged, right? Which tells me I don't need, I ain't got no business being in the judging business. Right, that I caught, <laughs> and that he said, of all the greatest commandments, the first commandment is to love. And so, with those two principles in mind, I don't care what you present me with, mm-hmm. because my two things that I'm required to do, there are commandments on my life, but of the greatest of those, the greatest commandment is to love. love. And so, I can follow all those other things, and I do try my best. But the weird, the first thing is I try to love everybody. Yes. And I try not to judge everybody or anybody. And and if I do those two things, I feel like I'm I'm in, I'm pretty much in the clear. 
for all the other stuff. And I think everything else is up to interpretation because Bible was written by man, interpreted to there's only a few words in the Bible that are coming from Christ. And so we still deal with a man's interpretation of the word of God. And so we need to be clear about when we, and then we have a man's interpretation in the Bible, right, which we think is our holy book, but then they're interpreted by men who read excerpts of the Bible and make whole sermons. We make whole sermons. Whole sermons off of two verses. And so, you know, we need to reconcile the, the, the contradictions that arises when we stand on pulpits of any sort, when we have microphones or voices of any, because everywhere, you don't know who's listening yeah. to what you're saying. And we need to be conscientious about how we represent the word of God to his people, because everybody's in different spaces and different places of it. And what we should be saying is that you can have Bible and you can, you can have a therapist in Jesus too. Absolutely. It's no competition. If God made doctors and God made lawyers and God made people that build bridges and chefs, thank God, because I like to eat. If God mm-hmm. made people who can do TV and God made moms and dads and everything else, and God made dogs to be companions to people like me, then God also made therapists and you can have both. Yes. But when you are not serving, again, when you're serving a different master, because let's be clear, we're going to have a transparent moment. Not all people who are who are called are called. And they're yes. up there serving their own purposes mm-hmm. under the guise of who they think God is mm-hmm. or who they want the everybody think God is. If you are talking about tithing and offering, which Yes, I do tithe for everybody listening. I do tithe, right? But I also don't feel like my tithing is only to the church. If my family ever calls me today and says, I'm about to be evicted and I'm able to contribute, then I tithe it for the week because I gave my resources to someone who was in need. If my father, who's retired, needs help and I give to him, then I tithe it for the week. I just didn't give to that person. If I give of my talents, if I counsel someone, and I'll tell you a funny story in a minute about how God still will work through you even when you don't know because you never know who's listening. Mm-hmm. And I think that the, the church really has to be mindful because it has a it still has a very significant role in our yes. community, but they're losing they're losing the young by the multitudes because people don't see themselves in it. And there is racism that's indoctrinated in that. There is this infusement of political people that like to show up during election time and mm-hmm. show up and shake hands that we need to stop doing. But we need to stop making, we need to elevate the intellectuality of our parishioners. We need to let them be analytical thinkers. We need to let them know that Jesus was a, was a scholar first and that he yes. was, and we can have both. And there's only so much that we can do as a, as a parishioner, as a counselor, in the church, you can go from a biblical sense, but if you are dealing with a serious mental illness, if you're dealing with suicide or addiction, or if you're dealing with compounded grief or trauma, or if you're in crisis, you can go to church every Sunday, but still go to a therapist. When I lost my mother, I was in the hospital for no lie, Jamie, a week. Mm-hmm. I got stress cardiomyopathy because I just was not handling my grief well. They call it like the broken heart syndrome, but I was so it's like, literally, I was about to come out. I was about to die. Mm. I literally got my way out of here. And I was only 34. And I remember sitting in the hospital thinking, I got to do this differently. Mm-hmm. I went to church every Sunday. I went to Grief Share, which is a Christian counseling um, okay. support group. And I had a therapist. And That's I was on anti-depression medication. All of that. 
Excellent. in order to get through the first six, seven months of my of my grief process. And no, my faith never wavered. What were my I remember my pastor at the time would just would preach and it was like he would preach to me. And I would go and I would cry and I would lay my burdens on the altar. I remember um, Thanksgiving, we had, um, we, they take it back in the old school days when you could witness and testify. Mm-hmm. And so I testified about how, you know, just coming there in the midst of my grief and finding grief share, which led me to the church, which led me to be here today and saying, you know, this is my first Thanksgiving and I don't know what I want to do. And my congregation, people never come to my house for Thanksgiving. Come to my house for Thanksgiving. Come to my house for Thanksgiving. And all of those things reminded me, like, you just don't know who will listen to you if you just use yeah. your and speak. And here I am trying to witness about how God was still encouraging me and people were opening up their hearts to me and homes that didn't even know who I was. And I say that to say, like, you know, it's hard if you've been indoctrinated in the faith to say that, but we have to, we have to be able to be honest with ourselves. And church have many masks because we don't want to go to churches. And we'll say, well, I don't look like I've been through. Well, if you knew me back then, right. no. Well, if you, if I, I don't look like I've been through because I was a whore back then. <laughs> Tell the truth. <laughs> I, I don't look like, if you would have knew me then when I was lying, stealing, and killing, or right. when I'm still lying today, right? or I'm not faithful today, or I wasn't honest on my taxes, why I didn't tell my child the truth, why I was having infidelity, whatever it is, we need to be more honest about who we are so that people will, can relate to us. Yes. As we were talking about earlier, that they can relate to us and they can feel and see themselves in there. But nobody wants to go to church and be like, oh, I'm the only one that got to lay my burdens down at the altar. So everybody can be like, well, look at some, oh, she must be going through. Right. I had right. a person who used to worship at my church. And she would just like, she would be at church all day would worship God. But you know what? I, I never, you know, the first person, somebody else who went to church longer than me told me about this young woman. They tell me how God has delivered her from all these things or how she really is just dedicated her life to God. You know, she used to be, she used to be a pimp and a drug dealer. Why are we leading with someone's false and insecurity? Right. Do you understand? Like, yeah. it's just, I think sometimes we, want people to be this this image of who we are. I had a I was I was really active in my church choir and one of my choir members got pregnant. And she wasn't married. Mm-hmm. And she got pregnant and at my church is very we're AME. So it's very much Yes ma'am. Very much, you know, order, you know, mm-hmm. we have an order and structure to the way we do things. And so when you are pregnant and you're unwed, once you start to show you are sat down. And mm-hmm. then and I'm quite sure you know what that is, but everybody don't know. When you get sat down at a church, that means you are not allowed to participate in any church activities. Mm-hmm. You still attend, you still should tithe, but you are not allowed to be seen in ministry mm-hmm. if you're unwed and you're and you're with child. And my choir director came to me randomly, like I'm not a part of the like the cool group. I just come sing. Mm-hmm. I ain't no big singer. I no, I'm not no soloist or nothing. I'm just here. And he said, Sonny, what you think about that? And I said, you know, I said, I, I said, the, the action was the sin. If we're going to be, if we want to talk, if we're going to go to this point, the action is the sin. Um, but the, but the baby is the blessing. And why are we punishing the evidence of a blessing? Mm. Because we don't agree with the action. Right. I said, I don't understand that. And I said, what are we teaching other people 
who might be in the same scenario that they can't or should not or cannot be redeemed when all we speak about is redemption in the church. You know, I think I think the church really has to it has to really atone with itself. It has to reconcile itself. I think as an intellectual thinker in Christ, I go to corporate worship because I know the power of being in like-mindedness with people yes. and the power that happens with that. And sometimes I need to go and release in the safe space of worship. But my relationship with God is 24-7. Yes. And I haven't been in the church house since the pandemic hit, but my relationship with God has not wavered. Um, but for some people, if they're not in the church house, they don't feel that they are doing it. And I think that that's when you have an imbalance in your your walk. Yes. Uh, again, this is Stephanie speaking. I'm not a I'm not a a, a, a pastor of anything. Despite what my grandma said, I'm not a pastor <laughs> of anything. But I think that that's important because because of this. And this is why I'll, I'll stop this point with you. Don't know who's listening to you, and you don't know who sees you. I was in an Uber, no lie, two weeks ago. I'm going to pick up a rental car, um, and I was talking to my my sister in law. And we were, she was talking to me about the struggles of her, 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 her fiance and my husband are, are brothers, right? Okay. And, they are, mm-hmm. and they are similar, Jesus. <laughs> but she got her own struggles with hers and I got my own struggles with mine. I, right. tell, I, I call it, I say it's a little support group that we're in. We're in the okay. little support group, okay? And we're here to help each other through. And so <laughs> she's telling me these things. And I remember my spiritual mother who I need to reach out to. My spiritual mother came to me and she said, we're talking about my premarital counseling about like dealing with conflict and how I handle it. And she said, you know, there are going to be things and times where your husband does things that you're not going to be able to deal with him. And he said, it's not that you go to him with the issue because if you argue and it's not making any inroads, she said, then you need to get on your knees and Mm -hmm. go to God and God can go to him and heal him from whatever, but it's not you to do that. And so when I did that, I was like, okay, cool. Mm-hmm. Okay. That resonated with me. I said, so she was talking about how she was getting frustrated, how she couldn't take it and all this other kind of stuff. And I said, hey, I said, um, you just need to go to God. Mm-hmm. I said, I said, why don't you get on your knees? That's right. I said, that's what my spiritual mother told me, that you're fighting against something. I said, we're not fighting against flesh and blood. But right. so you got to know where your source comes from. Mm-hmm. And I said, so whenever I get frustrated, sometimes I just go on my knees and I go to God in prayer and I and I put him on it. Like, you're going to have to help me with this because I don't got the spirit. Or I don't have the ability to do it. And so I'm in this Uber, this young lady's um, driving. She's quiet. It's a quiet ride. That's how I like it. I'm talking to mm-hmm. her. And so my sister was like, oh, my God, Stephanie, you're blessing me right now. And before I get out the car, I said, well, I'm about to tell her, thank you. This young lady breaks out in tears. She said, I, she said, I was trying to mind my business. She said, but I heard what you were saying to the person on the phone and you were speaking to me and you don't know what this meant for me and you don't know how much I need to hear this right now. And we prayed with her. We prayed with her right there. And my sister-in-law said, Steph, and she's a pastor. Like my sister-in-law pastor, I am not. She said, mm-hmm. Steph, you out here speaking a whole word. I said, I'm not trying to speak a whole word. I didn't think I was trying to speak a whole word, but that, but you don't know. Right. You understand? It was on my heart to tell my sister-in-law, like, look, if you're in it, you got to be in it. Mm-hmm. If you're going to be in it, this is how you get through it. Because sometimes it's going to be hard to get through it. And you can't throw the towel every time you get tired. So go to the Father for your help, right? If that's your source, go to your source. 
and not knowing that God needed for me to say that in that particular Uber at that particular time. And the funny thing is, she wasn't my first Uber because my first Uber declined me. She was my second Uber. Mm. And so who knew that God set that up for, for all of that? Well, that's a lot of things that had to align for that word to get to that one lady, mm-hmm. you know? And I just, and I, to God be the glory. I said this before, I said, when you just allow God to be God in your life, it can do miraculous things. But we are so in the way of him. Mm-hmm. Not that he's not there. Right. But we are just not allowing him to operate in our lives. And I think that's where the church is missing the mark. Yeah. You can get the abundance. You can get the parishioners you want. And you can get the money you want. And you go, church can be a, a mega church if that's your goal. If yeah. you get out of the way. Yes. And I think, and we have to normalize the fact that people are not dealing with, you know, normal work stress. People are dealing with life and death. I'd rather not be here. I'd rather be somewhere else type of stress. Yeah. And if we're not going to be honest about that, and we're not going to be truthful about that, then what are we doing? Absolutely. Yeah. Absolutely. Ma'am, keep saying you're not nobody's pastor. Okay. <laughs> <laughs> I've been trying to fight it. That's what I've been trying to do. <laughs> okay. I I can talk to you all day. Um, I but I, I wanna I wanna I wanna bring it in so that you know um when I have you back, we'll have more. I would time. love to come back. Please. Yeah, well, absolutely. Yes. It's and, gonna we just need to get together anyway because yes. this has been this has been life affirming for me as well. Absolutely. I love every minute of this. Um but I do want to give you an opportunity as we close. I want you to I want you to talk about like where your heart is with um, the populations you serve, like what you're seeing, what you're feeling, um, and then also make sure you kind of give us your information for your practice so that um, our our individuals in Maryland. I have I think I have a couple that were some are moving close to that area, but give us your information. But where's your heart when it comes to yeah. Uh, mental health and therapy in this good May mental health month. Well, um, yeah, I thought, oh God, my heart. So my heart is with my people. You understand? Um, I feel that, and and I mean, I mean, black folk, mm-hmm. we are suffering and silently suffering in a way that is unjust and. I feel every single day the attacks on our on our culture, on attacks on our bodies, on attacks of our livelihoods. Just being black in America is just too much for one person to endure. Mm-hmm. And I think that we we are a resilient people that shouldn't have to be as resilient as we are. And my heart is with young women who are emerging into this adulthood space. Um, having them to be able to embrace who they are unapologetically, living out loud unapologetically, whether you are 15 or 19, whether you are wanting to save yourself to be married or whether you want to be uh, sexually liberated, Um, mothers who are trying to designate themselves and their roles between not just being one noted, Um, Black men who feel they're unseen and unheard and are suffering in silence and how the predication of trauma keeps getting regurgitated onto them through relationships. Mm-hmm. Um, black couples who I feel are always under attack. That is 
truly my favorite therapy is couples. My favorite therapy is couples. I I believe so strongly in the Black family. It's uncanny. Like I just feel that is where our strength of community comes from. But we need to heal ourselves individually and heal ourselves collectively if we really want to have this transformative life that we say we want. Yes. And um, I think we need to just return back to humanity. And I say it in my talks when I do, when I talk about equity, but I, I truly mean that because if we don't get some care concern, we're going to morally, we're going to morally explode. We're not going to mm-hmm. make it. We're not going to make it. And I weep for my children, what society they will grow up in if we don't get it together while we are stewards of this earth. Um, and I just feel that during Mental Health Awareness Month, I don't want your, your listeners to just be aware. I want them to be actionable. And be actionable in the words of take assessment and stock of your life. If you think about a, a diagnosis, because I know diagnosing is a huge thing, Yes. The DSM-5 indicates that an adjustment disorder is anything that happens, good or bad, that has disrupted your life, whether that is getting a new job, moving, having a child, getting married, losing a job, getting a divorce, having to do something, perhaps being in a pandemic and being isolated for several years. It means anything that is a disruption to how you function on your day-to-day basis between two weeks and six months. That is everybody. Yes. Yes. That is everybody. Absolutely. Now, that adjustment can lead you to be in depression. That adjustment can make you be have some anxiety. You can have a mix or you can have what we call NOS or no otherwise specified. That means that, there are, there are, that there's not one person, including me and Jamie on this call, who haven't had to deal with an adjustment disorder. Correct. In the last year, I have gotten married and I've had a baby. Yes. That's a lot of adjusting. <laughs> and it has been disruptive to my life. Yes. And I see a therapist. Because even though they're all positive things, there's still things that affect me. And so be actionable about understanding that that's not, that doesn't mean that you're not capable to live a successful life. It doesn't mean that you can't, still be who you want to be. It doesn't mean that if you need to wear a mask at a particular office, you can't. But it means that you might need to work through something with someone. And it means that we always need to be assessing who we are. Because every year we're different, but every five to 10 years we change our perspective. If our taste buds change every seven years, then our lives change every yes. seven years. <laughs> we have to be clear about the fact that who I was 10 years ago is not who I was. Jamie will tell you probably who we're not when she met me. I'm not the same person. You're not <laughs> correct. So understanding the core of who I am is the same, but how I see the world is a lot different. Yeah, but that right. comes with life experience, and we need to be concerned about making sure that our mental health is the important thing. And I'll leave it with this, and then I'll definitely give you all my information. If your mind is the is the catalyst that I can't blink without my mind subconsciously telling my eyes to blink or the way I'm moving my hand was not done unless my hand was told subconsciously to do this. That means that my mind is doing a lot of stuff. And it's cluttered with fear and anxiety and stress. Yeah, these fine motor and, 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 and overt motor skills are working, but I'm not optimally running the way I need to because I need to deal with those things. If my mind is not together, then how can the rest of me be together? We are one body. And it can't just be partying away 
pre or churching away or working away or eating it away. We have to sometimes sit down and sit with ourselves and face it. And I think that's why mental health became such a big thing during the pandemic because people couldn't run outrun their thoughts. They had to sit with their thoughts. And when you sit with yourself, you start to understand that there are more things that you need to deal with than what you know. Yes. And so I hope everyone takes this this month to be actionable again. Just like we did some thoughts about should our career stay the same? Do we want to work in offices or do we want to work from home? You know, what do I want my life to look like? Do I want to open up a business? Whatever that it is that you always are assessing, am I healthy holistically? Is my mind okay? Am I at peace in my spirit? Or am I harboring some things that I need to address? And if you get services, no one will think anything different of you. That if nothing else, much like your tears, there are badges of honor and it will help you get to the optimum level where you want to go. And that is my prayer for everybody, but especially for my folks, because I want us to, to be liberated. And when you are liberated, you're liberated indeed. And that means yeah. full, full thoughts, even if your body sometimes can be in bondage, if your mind is free, you can go in. Yeah. Okay. And that, that's really what I want. So, so that's my prayer. So there are plenty of places you can find me. So Slowly Behavioral Consulting Group is um, located, our office is in Laurel, but we are remote and we're still virtual because the, the pandemic is still out. And this girl has a baby in her belly. Um, so we are here. We are serving uh, Maryland and Virginia at this time, but DC before the end of 2022. Um, we do mental health counseling for young adults, ages beginning of 15 to all the way to 102. Um, mm-hmm. and we do families, individuals, and couples. Um, we work with every, we have multiple insurances. I do not take Medicaid insurance right now, but we'll be bringing a lot more insurances on board. And we do work with people who do private pay to make sure that it's not a burden to those individuals. Um, we also are a, uh, a consulting firm where we work with diversity, equity, and inclusion, which is my other hat. And I'd love to come talk to you about that one day, um, but really doing trainings for organizations, strategic planning, organizational development, those kind of things, but really doing um, DEI work, really focusing around behavioral health equity specifically is my passion. Um, you can find us at www.solelybehavioralconsulting.com. Um, there you can just put your inquiry in and you can get a little flavor of who we are. You can also find us at Slowly Behavioral Consulting Group on Facebook or Instagram. I have given up Twitter because hashtag I can't be bought. Okay. <laughs> we were on Twitter, but we are no longer on there. Um, additionally, um, as God has let me do, I also have a YouTube page called Full Life Liberation. It's more of my lifestyle page, but what it really will become and what it really is my passion is to write my book about how to live your life liberated and and really talk about it. And I feel like this has been a good opportunity. Jamie, I would love for you to come to my little page and um, (laughs) and probably uh, talk about how we, you know, how I'm living liberated. But I think that, you know, maybe offline, we'll talk a little bit more about how I can craft and develop it to give it more structure. Because I think this is a really good form that you have going. And, but yeah, it's called Full Life Liberation. Um, I, on there, you can look at some past things. I did motivational Mondays, a little quick, like pick me ups, and we'll be talking about my journey about love and life after forty, and how it is not over. It is just the beginning, and how your life is only as limited as your mind. And so, if you're freeing your mind, you can be freeing your body, no matter where you physically are. And that's what I truly believe. And that's me. Yes, love it, love it, love it. Thank you so much. Thank you. Um, 
I know we've been planning this for a little bit and I was messing up in my communication, but we are here. Yes. And so I'm so grateful and I will have you back and I would love to be on yours um, whenever you're ready. So I'm just grateful that you're part of the Faith, Love and Therapy family. And this conversation. Yes. This it's conversation. just great. You, your audience is great. You are fabulous. And I thank you for what you're doing. Um, at these spaces and places allow people to, to reconcile religion and, and therapy. And I think it also lets you know that life is, starts everywhere. And I think that's yes. important. So that's yes. great. Yeah, absolutely. Thank you so much. And to everyone listening, thank you for tuning in. Thank you for watching. And I will catch you on the next episode of Faith, Love, and Therapy. Take care.